Welcome to American Girlies, the podcast where Canadian historians read the American girl novels. I'm Sonia Ann. And I'm Margot Mathieu. And I'm Hannah Sparwasser-Soroka, and today's book is Happy Birthday, Kirsten by Janet Beeler-Shaw, published in 1987. We're all just going to start with a quick summary and some historical context before discussing this book and what the hell we all just read because, oh man, this one's a doozy. Yeah, this was such a time. The wildest Kirsten book yet, which is saying something given that we've now survived child abductions, blizzards, cholera. And just the sheer incompetence of Mr. Larson. Oh my god, okay. Yes, so... uh in this book, Kirsten and her family have made it through the winter and tornado season. Uh, Kirsten's milestone 10th birthday is coming up soon, and there's so much to do. There's all this spring cleaning to be done, there's a barn to be raised, and most importantly, Mama is expecting a baby and is also expecting Kirsten to help her make all the baby clothes and prepare for the new arrival. But Kirsten would rather learn to quilt and not just hem diapers all day. Fair and valid. So I want to take a second and acknowledge that the way we do uh, American Girlies is one of us reads the book and then goes on a research tangent. And my tangent took me in a maybe weird direction. I don't know. We can talk about it some. I got really deep into researching the history of contraception in America because I think it's really notable that the Larsons show up in the United States having spaced their children pretty rigorously like every four to five years and even though it's been about four to five years mama immediately gets pregnant and has a baby their first spring in America and so I wanted to know what was up with that whether the expectations were different in Sweden versus America also, we can talk about stuff like the peak into the past section, which has some really interesting statistics on birth rates in America at this time. And so what I was expecting was to find that like Sweden was a birth control utopia and America was not at this time. And what I found actually really complicated that image. So in the Swedish sources I read, they talk about birth control really only becoming a current common thing after about 1870. Before which, obviously, the Larsons left Sweden. And uh, at that same time in America, birth control was actually pretty well available. So birth control in America took several different forms. In the first half of the 19th century, uh, there were contraceptive and abortifacient tablets that women consumed. These were often sold through women's magazines as mother's friends or female pills or women's tablets those lady medicines Ooh la la. Uh, and also in 1939 uh charles goodyear discovered slash invented vulcanized rubber which makes inventions like condoms and diaphragms possible these were actually fairly accessible to people depending on where in the country you lived and were widely available through the mail. So it's a family like 
Uncle Olaf and Aunt Inger, who'd been in America for a long time at this point, would probably have been able to access contraceptives if they so chose. Likely through the mail, but possibly even through general stores and pharmacies, like the nice man in the last book who gave Kirsten candy is like probably, possibly also selling condoms to all the families. Yeah, good for him. An ally. (laughs) And this is kind of the status quo. People also are obviously practicing or attempting to practice pull-out methods and rhythm methods to try and avoid pregnancy. But this all changes really dramatically in in 1874 with the passage of what are known as the Comstock Laws, which forbid the uh, use of the U.S. Postal Service to send obscene material across state lines. So obscene material is a very loose category that includes pornography, but could also include uh, birth control, abortifacients, things like this. The Comstock Laws very obviously make it hard for frontier families to access birth control because they're no longer able to get their women's tablets through the mails. Although you kind of still can because it's a women's tablet. What does it contain? Woman things, none of your business. (laughs) But you can't get a condom as easily if you live in rural areas. The Comstock Act is now, well, (laughs) the Comstock Act uh, meant that basically it became harder and more expensive to access meaningful birth control forms. It also meant that the use of these items became much more stigmatized. So like before the Comstock Act, people generally weren't like sharing their family planning strategies, but it was not a bad thing to be getting your woman's tablets. Your female pills? Congress didn't officially lift the ban on mailing contraceptives until the 1970s, after literally a century of critics pointing out that the law is awful and likely unconstitutional. And the law has recently received new and infuriating attention because a Texas judge cited it uh, in a decision that bans the sale or the, the shipping of abortifacient tablets to Texas. So basically means that even though it's perfectly legal to send mifepristone and other abortion pills in the United States, he's saying that you can't send them from outside of Texas into Texas and you can't sell them in Texas because of this law that is probably unconstitutional and certainly wildly outdated and not in effect really for this purpose. So that's why I went where I went because I was really angry about this decision and because this whole book to me reads like a really spectacular argument for bodily autonomy and people's rights to choose and uh, free and fair access to contraceptives. But we can get into that in our discussion portion now. So what did y'all think of Happy Birthday, Kirsten? What a wild ride. We open with a tornado, we close with a (laughs) new baby and a barn kitten, and everything in between is just a mess. I was surprised by how little birthday there was. Right? Yeah. It felt like an afterthought. I have multiple questions, 
that stem from the construction of the story to some accuracies on like learning skills to serious questions about the Larson's parental decisions. Uh, first, I guess would be <laughs> from a literary standpoint, I really love <laughs> that Mama Larson and the cat being pregnant at the same time are mentioned in the same sentence. Like, Mama's having a baby. So is our cat. Missy the cat. Dumb bitches getting pregnant. I love that both of them are compared to each other. It's like, oh, yeah, they're both really irritable right now. Yeah, they're both like, fat Okay. And then it's like, oh, but, you know, Missy the cat has a baby who's not doing well and at one point potentially abandons her child to die. Her kitten. Yeah. And Kirsten's like, I know, I'll ask Mama what to do because she has a newborn too. And Mama's <laughs> like, give the kitten some milk. Jesus Christ, it's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the overwhelming theme of this one is maternal mortality, child mortality, powerlessness, and feeling like you don't matter to your family, like your family doesn't care about you except in how you're useful to them. Like those are my obedience. Those are my themes. Those were the big takeaways. And making yeah. quilts. And making the amount, quilts. The amount of times that Kirsten is called a good little helper in this book is a little disturbing. I'm making a bar she wants to, Yeah. The fact that she wants to learn a skill that is arguably useful and can be used in making children's clothes, piecing, that they they weren't going to... Also, just, like, do Swedes actually not make quilts? Because they heavily imply that, like, Swedes just don't know how to make quilts. She got quilted petticoats in the last book. She wore quilted clothing in the last book, but they just said, like, quilting isn't useful. I was going to say, in the book, Right, so let's, going chronologically, it opens with they're in the cellar hiding from the tornado and Kirsten says that she wants to learn to quilt. And then on page 11, it says specifically that Swedish blankets are made on looms. So no one in Sweden knows how to quilt, I guess. No one is doing any piecework. Yeah. And no one has ever had the idea of sewing two blankets together to make them extra warm. Yeah. Or like as your blanket wears out that you cut it into smaller pieces, use those pieces to like quilt something together. No, we are only making new fabric on looms. And here's my other question is quilting bees were a thing. So this idea that the girls who are at this point, what, Lisbeth is 12, Kirsten yeah. is almost 10. You're telling me that these girls have never been brought along to a quilting bee, which would have been a big social function for women nope. living in these areas. Okay, but it feels no, like only people, only people in Maine make quilts. <laughs> Didn't you notice that too? Because they had the one girl who was from out east, and she's like, "We used to make quilts all the time." It might be only, FF Mary. Only people from New England made quilts. No, <laughs> also, it's this whole thing quilts. of like Sweden is 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 a medieval backwater. Yes, where you, we yeah. don't see the ocean. Sonia, I saw your text. Okay, so here's the thing. This book, because it's about her birthday, they give us Kirsten's birth. And they talk about how it's written down in the family Bible, which, like, 
Side note, that is a nice little snippet of history, which was a thing that people actually did. But in the family Bible, it is recorded that she was born in Rid, Reed, I don't know, R-Y-D. So I looked it up. It is 39 kilometers away from the coast. It is an eight-hour walk. You're telling me that Kirsten would never have seen salt water if she hadn't left Sweden when she was practically coastal. No, I'm never going to drop it for book one. I will lose my mind. They didn't have carts or anything in Sweden. Um, they can't they walk in Sweden. They, could they only don't walk visit people. <laughs> but also, and okay, also they is... never leave their village. No one yeah. ever leaves the village that they're born in unless they're coming to America. But also the way Mama reacts to the quilt, like, uh, foreignness. And it's like, excuse me, ma'am, you're the immigrant here. Like, like it feels like she has to learn that American techniques are good even though they're not the same as what she had in Sweden. Like, it feels very bizarre to me. This is The quilting is such a strange plot line because she's like, I want you to do useful things for me and the baby. And then... Because babies don't need blankets or warm clothes. Yeah, because quilting isn't a nice thing to do for a baby. But this now leads us into the maternal and infant mortality line of this book because what happens when kirsten goes to school and all the girlies are sitting around quilting together at recess i'm sorry can i tell this part because i literally i was reading this at work and i literally screamed because they're sitting there sewing and kirsten is complaining about how like she can't quilt as much as she wants to because she has to do stuff for her pregnant mother and mary is sitting there just talking about all of these women that she knows who died in childhood like well your mom's probably gonna die like and then she just goes back to sewing and Kirsten is sitting there like what (laughs) this is great I love Mary I love Mary because like Mary I am a textile crafts girly who cannot read the room I I love her I feel this is the first time also she is explicitly a brunette which I think counts as representation for me Uh, even though she's She's okay. I also have dark hair, but she's also just what? What is that statement? Just like, oh well, you know, pregnant women die. Your mom might as well be oh, dead. Auntie now. Sadie had twins. One of them died, and then she did. I I pulled the quote. It is on page fifteen. Quote: Last year, my aunt Sadie had twins. Only one of the babies lived, and Aunt Sadie died after they were born. Damn and man. Then- also, what did she just say? Just so she goes on to talk about how they they oh, took yeah, yeah. we took in the baby and now we call her my sister, but she's really my cousin, <laughs> <laughs> and she'll never know her real mom. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what? it's Mary, what is your deal? Oh no, I love it. No, I'm so on board with Mary in this book. I think she's the funniest character that Janet Beeler Shaw has given us. Full stop. <laughs> Uh, she's the most real girl in this book. The other girls are like meekly quilting, yeah. and Mary's like, "Have you considered your the mortality of your loved ones?" I have, have you thought about that today. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in the Barbie movie. Have you ever thought about dying? Did you guys ever think about dying? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, justice for Mary. But the whole quilting debacle brings me to the thing that makes me like actually rage inside, mm-hmm. aside from the injustice of. 
everything that mama's going through, but that her solution to the fact is that Kirsten has to be her little doula now. Yes. And make all the yeah. baby clothes. I uh, like her mother goes into labor and there's nobody around except Kirsten. Which also like just stati- like looking historically at how this kind of work was done, you I don't I don't understand what is happening is happening here because more than likely at least one other person in their like close vicinity would probably also be pregnant at this time so there's that that you're often like giving birth together or caring for infants together um but also like the inger is not pregnant why are they not like they only have two helping each other why are they not helping each other also why is the youngest son who's only like six at this time five out out in the fields like you just because he's a boy doesn't mean anything he should also be in the he house shouldn't which be shortened yet which we will yeah. get to later like he should be still in dresses yeah exactly or just barely like, out of them i i don't understand why kirsten can't go to school why aunt inger or other women aren't spending a couple of months with them in the home helping well, them we like get, this is how this, this is crazy done. monologue from kirsten's mom she goes into labor she's like kirsten come sit with me and they hold hands and her mother says i remember when you were born Mrs. Hansen came. My mother came. Mrs. Hansen came. They all helped me. And it it made me so sad because for this fictional character, because in Sweden, because she's living in a town, she has a community around her. She has a local midwife who will come to her. But now her dipshit husband has moved her to be a squatter on indigenous land, and she has to, because America's a land of individualism, has to go give birth unattended. Like but like there are enough people to do like a full-on barn raising and they have like a whole festival at the end of this which means that those those men who come there's like eight or ten men that they mention they should all have wives that are within a riding distance of this family they should be like normally when this is happening either you're sort of conglomerating women who are pregnant together especially in the case of like if you're in an area where there is not a doctor or midwife. So you're going to put that, bring those people together because if something happens to a woman, you need another person who can breastfeed to care for a child um, or the kid will likely die. But also like women would be coming and staying with them and helping with them because she won't be able to get up and do heavy lifting to gather water, to do any of this stuff. Like, farm work doesn't need to be done the way that they're set like there's not like yeah. a specific end date in this the men would be helping like they wouldn't be in the room which i found baffling like go get papa he needs to be by my side like no he's not gonna be there but like the other thing is like that that they they can set aside the farm work for like not obviously not like milking and the animal care has to be done every day but like they can set aside planting for like one week to help this woman who just shoved another human out of her body like and there would be other women there helping them make food bringing food to them uh but they don't need that they have an the laundry for them but i think and this is the interesting part to me right because we've talked about the time that these books are written is as important as the time that they're set because this is 1987 this is peak 
you know, individualistic nuclear family Reaganomics. <laughs> so the idea that you're going to rely on your neighbors for help is ludicrous. We can't have that. Except we can't then put they that into the barn a raising. Yes. But the idea that women are going to turn to each other is a no-no because that's men's work, right? Happens outside the home. So it's fine if you and your buddies all work together on like constructing something, right? On building a barn or building a whatever. But it seems like the message here is, no, when it comes to domestic tasks, like taking care of a pregnant woman, that's that's her job and the job of any like other female people living in the house. Like you cannot be reliant on the rest of your community to help you with your medical or like household issues. So I want to I want to take a second with this that like I thought it was really striking that Kirsten's cousins were not asked to help. Like yes. the tw- we got the 9-year-old to do all the baby clothes, not the 12-year-old. And like it's not better if it's the 12-year-old cousin, but because it's so fixated on the nuclear family. Exactly. Like, yeah. like and, and this is what spread gets out me. across all of them and then Exactly. Like, it doesn't make sense to me that it's just Kirsten doing the sewing when it could be Lisbeth and Anna and Kirsten, right, sewing diapers together. Also, um, and then Kirsten doesn't get to go to school for over a month. Yeah. Which is also insane. Like, if all of the girls, if all of the younger girls and the aunties were actually helping, then nobody loses an entire month of school. Yeah. I think we also need a quick moment to talk about uh, Papa Larson and why he is the villain and why I want to beat him to death with a shovel. So when Mama Larson goes into labor, Kirsten has to go and ride out on the horse and find Aunt Inger and Papa because apparently both of them have just abandoned Mrs. Larson to for, go to another unrelated farm. Yes, to go help them out and not take care of the pregnant woman you have at home. <laughs> then when Kirsten finds her dad, what does he say? He's like, oh, is it actually that urgent? Do we really need to go right now? And I'm like, sir, your wife is in labor. The bare minimum you could do is like be in the vicinity and then after the baby is born, what is the first thing he says? Another Quote. mouth to feed. <laughs> and I'm like, Mr. Larson, keep it in your pants then. If you're that upset about this kid, this is on you. This is 100% on you. I The audacity of the man. I was so furious. I was gasping the whole time. Because like... He's depicted as a good dad. He's not depicted yeah. as a shy dad. And he's behaving so badly. Kirsten's whole family behaves abysmally in this book. Because like yes. they say things like, oh, is it really that urgent? Like, the woman's in labor. But also they do things like, Kirsten, now you really don't get to complain about anything because you have to be a good little helper. The only person and I think this is such a garbage fire family who's any good is Uncle Olaf being like, Kirsten, the reality is you're too young to see a woman give birth and we don't have to hurry. And it's better that we let the people who know what they're doing be in the room. And I'm going to walk with you now. 
because it's okay because I've got you. Uncle Olaf is the only person in that whole family that I respect. <laughs> He's also, the only grown up in this situation. Just my quick backwards math. Essentially, these people showed up, built a house, and Papa got her pregnant. Yeah, no, yeah. She, like she that is that was their that was their like we're not even we're not even like like, <laughs> like we're not even settled. Like we don't have our stuff. We don't have anything. Like. I gotta get some. The kids, like, kids dude. started school. Literally, the kids left the house to go to school, and Papa's like, "This is our window." That's what happened. <laughs> yep. I, I'm, yeah, I'm magog at this man and his genital incontinence. But also, like, Kirsten's anxieties about, like, that. is everyone just gonna forget my tenth birthday because there's a new baby girl? Is everyone just gonna ignore me now? And I feel like this is such a contrast to the book we read last time, where it's Kirsten, for, for a brief shining moment, she had her own desires and motivations and agency and was like advocating for herself and saying, no, I want those trunks back. This is ridiculous. It's been like six months. Let's go get them. And then in this book, it's just, okay, I guess that's gone. I guess once they got all their stuff, it was just, I will never advocate for myself again or take up space or ask questions or it, it, require any attention whatsoever yeah good 1980s girls don't bother their parents <laughs> though it does also like now that we have the context of mama is pregnant like five months four months pregnant in december yeah. like I understand more now why when Kirsten's like, can I go, like, can can you ask Papa to go and get this stuff? And Mama's like, I'm not talking to Papa right now. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I will say Sam points out, producer Sam points out that in the scene where she gets to ride the horse real fast, she says she's going to ride like an Indian, which is really special. Oh my God, yes. 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 Oh God, the, we, we have a return of the Natty Bumpo yeah. themes oh where Kirsten has to, has to take on some of the ways of the indigenous people to become a real American. Right, because like that's, an that's who a real American is, I yeah, guess. It was, that was special. But I think it's time to talk about birthday parties. This is the one part of the book where I was like, oh, that's nice. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, can I just say, yeah, Mr. Larson, again, another reason to hate him. When Mama tells Kirsten, who has been home from school for a month, doing chores, cleaning, cooking, laundry, etc. She tells Kirsten, hey, since we're having a barn raising like the day after your birthday, we're going to have a birthday party for you at the same time. While Kirsten's washing the dishes and Kirsten says, can I go and tell my cousins that we're having a party? Oh, right. Mr. Larson almost tells her to keep washing the dishes and like do this later. And mama's like, no, go tell your cousins right now. And I'm like, yes, mama, <laughs> tell him off. He sucks. He's the worst. Your parentified child (laughs) is allowed to be excited about things. Oh my god. And like, then Papa gets to swoop in at the party and be like, let's have a waltz. I'm going to dance with you now, my daughter. He doesn't give her a present. The presents come from the women, right? Her aunt makes her new braids. Her mother makes her a new apron. And her friend... Ribbons. Wait, ribbons for her braids. Her 
Mummy's Papa's gift is his basic attention. Yeah, Papa's gift is yes. I'm gonna twirl you around a couple times. And the girlies made her a quilt while she was away. Yeah. Although it turns out, and this is where I got furious again, that they offered the quilt to Miss Winston, and Miss Winston's like, Well, I already have she a said, quilt. I don't need a quilt. <laughs> she gets secondhand gifts from her her, gir- her her closest friends are like well we were gonna make it for the teacher but she didn't want our stuff so like poor Kirsten this book is it. really the poor Kirsten book and I've I've been really open in the past episodes about how much I despise Kirsten but this one I was like justice for my girly this is so unfair this poor kid it really is, it really is less happy birthday Kirsten and more Happy birthday, Kirsten. Happy birthday, I guess. I guess you sort of matter sometimes, but only in your ability to be helpful. And obedient. And this is where I want to get into like yes. my thing about, we can talk about the peak into the past. Sonia will know what I'm talking about for Margot. The, so when I say that this read like a wisdom booklet. Yes. Oh, I have no idea. So, yeah, please explain this okay, to the so actual American girlies. I don't know if, if folks have watched the Shiny Happy People documentary, which is on one of the streaming yeah. options. Oh, Amazon. And anyway, yes, it's, it's a documentary exposing a religious movement called the Indi- or the Institute for Basic Life Principles, which is a fundamentalist Christian homeschool lifestyle, financial, all-consuming thing. and their homeschool system is based around your kids reading what are called wisdom booklets that teach you an important quote-unquote character trait so there's like a little didactic story and it's like and that's why we must always be honest this read like and that's why we must always be obedient like obedient was the buzzword of this book it made me so sick to my stomach because none of these adults she needs to be under the umbrella of her parents who are under the umbrella of she's under the umbrella of Jesus her mother who's under the umbrella of her father who's under the umbrella of god yeah yeah absolutely which is in the wisdom booklets yes anybody wants to look that up it, there... it just feels like the one umbrella should be enough for everyone but okay <laughs> yeah could god create an umbrella so big that everybody fit under it <laughs> clearly not <laughs> anyway so yeah the dialogue in this book was so it was even more insipid the bit where she's like mama may i tell my cousins that we're having a party and mom is like yes you may like i don't know i think this is also because i wasn't raised in north american culture and in my first language like may and can are synonymous so the whole insistence on like may i please go to the washroom mr teacher just like graded on me even as a child so it super grates on me in this book uh and when she's talking about like may i wear my new presents to the party and the adults are like yes you may wear the new apron to the (laughs) no you can't wear your birthday present sorry it's for hanging on the wall and looking at like what the heck is this anyway there's my rant on the obedience thing i'm sure you all have feelings as well yeah, I mean, like, growing up in America, like, a, a, like five years later than this book, you know, I was a child in the 90s, there were a lot of people, my parents were a little more loose about things, but there were a lot of people in my family who, like, if you wanted to do anything, 
that wasn't already like assigned. You weren't being told what to do. It was like that you have to ask explicit permission for absolutely everything and that you can you can't question it at all. Then that was like sort of the dominant American culture. So it was sort of this weird thing of flying between um, the remnants of the sort of like being a latchkey kids, you know, where you come home, nobody's at home. You just sort of like go and wander around the neighborhood with your friends. We had some elements of that. And then we had a lot of elements of leftover also from this kind of period of like, you know, like, because I said so, like, is like such a, a thing of like, and like, why are you here making noise? Why aren't you being helpful? Why aren't you doing what you were told? Why do you want things? Why do you want autonomy? You're just supposed to do what you're told specifically and explicitly and constantly. And yeah, and but just also from it's dangerous. I find that it's a really dangerous way to raise yeah. kids. I have such a hard time standing up for myself in like especially at like jobs and stuff and in situations where I have a person of authority above me like questioning them uh feels like such a weird and wild thing and like while my actual parents did foster that a lot you know like I was constantly in trouble at school for questioning teachers and stuff and my parents would like stand up for me but like the whole culture of the United States was very much like children don't get to ask questions about things you don't get to question why an authority figure is saying something to you like that yeah and and this is where we get into the peak into the past which was the most horrendous part of this already horrendous book where specifically the thing about obedience is Obedience was an important tool for keeping kids safe, because if you obey your parents, they have your best interests at heart and they won't put you in a dangerous situation, which is plain nonsense, given how many kids died in farming accidents and continue to die in farming accidents to this day. Like, no, sorry, the frontier folk weren't like child safety advocates and obedience (laughs) wasn't the same as having rights. I'm so mad about this. This whole peek into the past was just a an avalanche of what the hell. No, I just I had a I had a quick question about the beginning of the peek into the past because I was just so sort of in and I don't know if this is just because this was written in the 80s and maybe this wasn't as much of a problem, but the fact that at the very beginning they're talking about how like people were just let number one just less healthy, uh, which is a wild statement to make. Which is also and number two that they they uh they had problems with illnesses that we don't think of as being a real problem today like the measles and i was like well that's not because and it it was said because we have like good medicine now and i don't know if in the 80s like medicine just would have included vaccines and it's like no measles wasn't a big deal because if you got it you had already been vaccinated for it and that's why it's not as much of a problem, but also like most people don't get the measles anymore because we have vaccines I, for it. It's still a deadly I, disease. When yeah. does we we still don't have when a does the anti vax situation really kick off? I mean, is my arguably question. it goes back to the 18th century, but like in the modern the contemporary version is like a late 90s, early 2000s product. Like the whole like yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. The MMR gives you autism. Well, this is what I'm wondering if. In the book, right, at this point, in 1987, I feel like vaccines weren't this, like, controversial thing. No, they right? were not. Like, I feel like you, you could just say, okay. we have better medicine, and okay. expect that people yeah. are going to read that as, oh, yeah, vaccines, a normal part of medicine, versus 
what it became later with the nonsense. Yeah. The just blatant stupidity. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, like, it still is wildly. I mean, in the 80s, people understood no, measles I mean, to be a problem yeah. because we still don't have a cure for measles. And mumps yeah. can cause infertility and birth defects and, like, all kinds of really hideous problems to children and especially pregnant people. And, yeah, like, so can, yeah, measles can too. Like, it doesn't normally affect adults very poorly, but is it German measles birth defects? Well, that's mumps. Issue. German measles is mumps. Yeah. Oh, I thought okay. German yeah. measles was rubella. Oh, German measles is rubella. I'm sorry. And mumps is similar. But they all can like really tear. They're all the same family. That's why it's measles, mumps, and rubella. Anyway, yeah. So, but also this thing about like people were just less he- less healthy. Uh when like hilariously at the same time you get the like our children like the child obesity stuff sort of starts around this time of like. In the old days, when the kids worked the farm, we didn't have fat children, and now it's we're so sedentary, and we need to have the fitness test. And like, sorry, are we more healthy or less healthy than people on the frontier? Like, pick, pick, because this is incoherent. Also, like, I and I love that thing about like, like children and obesity, because like people will say things like, "Oh, well, like we didn't have like any fat children in our neighborhood," and I was like, "Yeah, but you only had like seven children." Like, there's, the population has, what, like, quadrupled in the past century? So, like, of course, like, there's going to be more fat children because there's just more children. And statistically, there's a certain percentage of the population that is going to, like, naturally carry more weight on their body and still be healthy and still, what, anyway, we can do a whole thing on, (laughs) Speaking have done a whole thing on this, actually. But also, like, speaking of seven children... Um, this peek into the past just straight up states most women had seven kids. Yeah, that's an accurate Which... statistic, but it's only accurate because it's an average. So some exactly. women, like Auntie Inger, had two children, and some women had eleven children. Yeah, and so yeah. like on average, seven six point nine six births per woman. Like, yeah, that is the average, but most people aren't like. That's just not a good measure, but also it's kind of interesting what I learned in my research on this crazy statistic, because I read that and I was like, well, why doesn't Kirsten have more siblings? What's up? What's mm-hmm. up with the Larsons? Are they just not very <laughs> fecund? Uh, is that? No, actually, most people didn't have seven children. Most people had less than that. Some people had significantly yeah. more than that. But also we're at a period where the birth rate per on average declines massively. So women born at the beginning of the century had on average 6.96 something children. So seven kids. Women born in 1650, so little baby, baby unnamed. They don't even name the baby in this one. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into Which that. I do think was that, if I'm recalling correctly, I do think that would have been normal though. Where you didn't name it them until... No, it depends. It depends. Sometimes you had a name, and then the kid wouldn't make it to five, and they would die, and then... But Peter uh, has a name. They would just use... Well, the, no, but I'm saying, like, another name. because at this point, right, the new baby, when the book ends, is, like, maybe a month old. They would probably have a name. They normally record it, and then if the kid dies and then they have another right. kid, they would give it that name. So there's a lot of Protestant Bibles have, like, John... 
John, 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 John. And it's mm-hmm. like the first okay. four Johns died. And now they're like, yeah, this is John. And then they move on to like sense. George or Frank or yeah, Sybil or whatever. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. So the women born. Women born so baby Larson on average had would have five kids. Women born oh. 25 years after that were on average just over three. So it was like 3.4. So we're at a period where we have children anymore. Well, we were. This is a period where the average birth rate per woman is declining pretty steadily, uh, in part because of contraceptives. So people don't have to suffer because we now have vulcanized rubber diaphragms. Uh, But also, like this peek into the past doesn't tell us that. It just tells us how miserable womanhood was on the frontier. Right? You're going to have seven kids. You're probably going to die doing it, or you might as might well die doing it. Your kids are going to be unhappy because they're going to be pushed into either doing brute farm work with their bodies if they're boys, or getting married at 15 and having seven children themselves if they're girls. And like, sorry, that's not a one-to-one model. Girls weren't getting married at 15 willy-nilly. Some were, but like that wasn't the norm of like, oh, you're 15 now, honey. Super unusual. Better find you a husband. Like, I also, yeah, I found the very interesting, like, misogynistic statements in Peek into the Past, where it's just presented without comment. Like the whole thing where it's, oh, well, girls like Kirsten actually had more freedom and more ability to go and do stuff than adult women because once you were an adult woman you had to be meek and quiet and just have babies and that was the only thing that you were allowed to do yes and that's just not true especially on the you know quote unquote frontier where we know historically these women actually held a lot of power in their communities more so than they would have in many cases in urban settings because they it, it was in a lot of cases right you weren't really answering to this like wider society, like social yes, norms right also, like you just have to so keep fun, up this fun appearance fun facts about the mid 19th century in north america this is the period of the development of the concept of the separate spheres Yes. So like when that really becomes a thing, but it's for a very specific class of people. And so it's presented as the ideal that everyone should be striving for, for this new wealthy, quote unquote, middle class, where you had women who had the luxury of only having to care about the home and a man who brings home enough money to, and isn't doing like hard labor or labor where the woman then has to do a bunch of work in the home. It was more about managing a system of home having life. a staff. Um, but the and yes, exactly. And then you know everybody else was sort of like striving for this, but it wasn't real. So women who were working outside of the home, which was very common in the industrializing centers, and then women on the frontier. Interestingly enough, Wyoming. Uh, the Wyoming Territory yep. was the first place in North America where, aside from New France, where women could vote. The The only place in the U.S. where uh, women had full rights to vote. And it was because women were the ones who were running most of the things that were happening in on the frontier and were a significant portion of those women prostitutes and brothel owners yes yes <laughs> but, but also, this is like, <laughs> this is a thing too where like 
sorry, Kirsten's yeah. mom doesn't sit home all day making bread. She's out no. there in the field with her husband because that he doing- needs the labor. They need the labor. They they just she can't just sit around all day. And she's looking. Like, she's making. She's making decisions. She's inheriting things when Papa eventually gets run over by his oxen. She has full. She has, for the most part, like hu- like full rights. She does as a person, especially on the frontier. She's yes. like, yeah. is and especially being she's in Swedish. Yeah, she's empowered to go to the store and do business on behalf of her family. Yeah. Like, these are not meek little homemakers. These are powerful people or people who ha- have access to power. And so, it's ahistorical for the peak into the past to frame them as like helpless, meek little sweeties but also my whole vibe from this peek into the past is that janet beeler shaw met a slightly whiny 11 year old and was like you know what girly if you lived in (laughs) frontier times you would have a hell of an awakening like because it it is very much framed children nowadays are always whining yeah it's very much framed as like you wouldn't get a choice you would have to do the farm work you wouldn't get to sit around and play with dollies your doll would be made of rags you wouldn't have a doll. Someone would take it away from you. Like you'd walk up. It would be locked in a trunk for six months because your father refuses to, take- to go to the store <laughs> for six months. In the pouring rain. You'd have to like- take care of an actual baby because your mom died in childbirth. Dad can't keep it in his pants, and mom is oh, dead. God. Like that. And your cat died in childbirth too. So jot that down. <laughs> Like it is it is a really horrible thing and i think it's true that like maternal mortality rates are really terrible historically and and kids should know about that like we're not here to say like you should have romanticized it more but like give us the actual history which is that most women weren't getting married at 16 popping out seven babies dropping dead and being meek and sweet the whole way also, she's already had multiple children, and she's a physically active woman. She's gonna be like hot. more than likely, she would have a, a perfectly fine normal childbirth. Most like issues with like that resulted in mortality would have happened on your your first or or not that not that if you're or there if you're a grand multi para if you're like you know on your fifteenth child and your uterus is yeah. paper thin and you have a prolapse or a hemorrhage. Yeah, <laughs> Duggers. Yes. Um. I think we've just about covered it. Uh, but before we go, out of a possible five parentified daughters, what do you give this book? <laughs> Zero. No one should read this one. I think it's bad. I don't think that we should be giving anything to children where we're telling them that they're highest, the highest quality and like best uh, attribute they could have is obedience. I'm all in with you on this. I really hated this one. This is the worst one. Guess I'm gonna give it a one because my zero went to the glossing over genocide <laughs> book. So, oh I, right, yeah. Oh, th- this is it, it's a step up from gloss over genocide, and I guess we got the scene with the tornado, which was like at least somewhat historically <laughs> accurate and interesting, but otherwise garbage. Yep, it's can't wait to be done with the Kirsten book. We've got two left. Everybody, buckle in. <laughs> We'll get through it. Yes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to American Girlies. This is a production of the Baba Yaga Project. We are produced and edited by Sam Believe Riemann. Our hosts are Sonia Ann, Margaret Mathieu, and me, Hannah Sparwasser Soroka. 
Our music is composed and performed by Esther Ruth Teal. This podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporters just like you. If you would like to support the show, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash project for bonus content and extra goodies. You can follow us on Twitter and on TikTok and Instagram as well. Thanks, girlies!